This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Due process, you guys. Due process. That's going to be one of the themes of uh, today's show. Thank you for listening. I am Jeff Stein. Thanks, Juan Velasquez, for putting the show together, Premier Networks, for allowing it to exist. And so, uh, due process. Due process. And I say that because if you're going to love and enjoy politics, you have to remember a few things. You have to see it broadly, right? Uh, you have to be able to step back from it and, and see see where it's going, not just the battles, but also the war, right? And you have to be patient. (laughs) You have to know that of all the cases of human victimhood, the place where they collide with the greatest ferocity is in politics. It's about victimhood a lot. And so you have to be prepared for that. You have to be able to identify it, recognize it, and go, okay, yeah, good for you. That's going to work out for you really well. And you have to do it for yourself, which is the due process part. Right. Uh, I'll give you the old sports analogy right off the top. If you like football and there's a bad call during a game, and now fortunately we got instant replay, we got different recourse. We're always trying to improve it, just like politics. We're always trying to improve the ability to to to, to do due process. Uh, but if it's a bad call and it costs you the season, and you go home, you just say, "Well, that's that's due process. It wasn't a good call." I am the short end of the stick of that good call. Somebody else is the recipient of that. But we respect the rules. If you want to be into politics, you got to love the rules and know that they evolve. That's the other part of it, right? We're constantly evolving. You know, the Constitution is a living document, right? Well, let's never forget that. Everything is evolving. We're always learning to get better laws for better rules for better circumstances, just like, again, the sports. Anyone who follows sports, you know, each year, uh, each league comes up with potentially new penalties, new rules, especially football has been making a lot of tweaks. And that's who we are and that's what we do. And I say all that (laughs) because... When places and things get particularly chaotic and we're looking at a circumstance like a government shutdown or a malignant narcissist president, uh, <laughs> although, again, for Trump supporters, uh, there is a lot of cracking in their, uh, in their enthusiasm. It's wavering with every day. The liar's lens is being put on by more and more folks. Remember, I've talked about that. The liar's lens is when you, uh, you you believe in something, you believe in somebody, you believe in an idea, and then suddenly some sort of fact which you just can't get around that makes you say, oh, that's a lie. Then you click on the liar's lens and then everything you, you look at, you look at that person or that individual or that organization's past and go, oh, wow, they lied a bunch of times. I didn't notice that. And then you watch them henceforth and go, they're still lying. Well, that happens. That's peeling. And that's due process. There's a lot of parts. So we get to the politics part of due process. Well, there's the activist part, which we'll talk about later in the show, which should make you really, really happy. If you went to the Women's March and you believe in that perspective, then uh, you will be incredibly happy about how that went. Uh, and then there's the rule parts, right? There's been gerrymandering, which we're going to talk about that. That is being looked at and changed and making its way through the process. Partisan gerrymandering is antithetical 
to pretty much everything this democracy intended. George Washington specifically has a number of quotes about the danger of party politics. And so that one is making its way to the Supreme Court. It's never certain how that's going to go, but it's going very strongly in the direction of the U.S. Constitution uh, as it makes its way through the lower state courts. We'll talk about that in a little bit on the show. Um, But that's a due process. You... Even if when somebody does something nefarious and they try to cheat the circumstance, a.k.a. when the Republicans said, nah, just because Obama's president, we're not going to let him have a Supreme Court, even though it says in the Constitution that the Senate simply advises and consent. It doesn't say that it denies the opportunity for a hearing uh, so that they can put in their Supreme Court justice a year later. Uh, that is not in the Constitution. That is a breaking of the rules. But when you do something, when you break the rules... Due process still has to kick in, and we have to let that play out. DACA, right? We're going to get into that a lot because that's the, the meat of the shutdown. And the the DACA situation is where you've got some rules, and they obeyed some rules, and these folks, these dreamers, obeyed the rules and did what they were supposed to do. And the other side is trying to uh, change uh, the plan and renege on that. And those things have consequences. Due process. One case, for instance, is it is moving through the courts. And the courts are finding in the favor of plaintiffs or defendants, maybe watch how you look at it, and staying these things. So currently, DACA is still going till at least March not only because of uh, the circumstances that, that it was laid out through Trump, but also because of legal challenges. And the legal tea leaves are saying that it's going to go way past that. So there's an excellent chance that DACA won't even be removed, even though the Republicans in the White House are trying to do so, not without Repub- without Democratic votes, voting specifically to end it, because it appears to be, as it is, a legal contract between Dreamers and the U.S. government. And most courts kind of say, yeah, you got to honor your contract. Uh, that's, that's due process. So that's working too, but you got to watch the Senate. And when we, uh, you know, going to get into that because <laughs> like sports analogy, there is a big difference in the talent level of the participants in the Congress. And I know people think, oh, Paul Ryan's the best deal. He's such a brilliant guy. Well, Paul Ryan is stuck. Uh, and even if he was a really smart negotiator, there's not a lot he can do. We'll talk about that in a second. But Schumer in the Senate is playing chess, and Mitch McConnell is playing hide-and-go-seek. It's Seriously, that, that analogy is so appropriate right now. Mitch McConnell is trying to find a way to blame the reality on Democrats because they can't move things through this Republican Congress and the president who, Chuck Schumer, can I play the quote? I got to play the quote. Negotiating with this White House is like negotiating with Jello. <laughs> I mean, that is going to go down. And you say, oh, that's not just, that's not his chess. The chess part isn't that he came up with a clever insult. The chess is the way that Chuck Schumer intimately understands the procedurals of the Senate. And uh, Mitch McConnell only understands that he has to find a way to hide from blame for an inevitable disaster because of the divisiveness of his own party. When we come back, I'll explain how that goes and where the shutdown is going from here when I return to Possibility Politics. The lunch that seemed so promising was quickly overtaken by hard right forces in the administration even though we bent over backwards to meet the president's demands. 
Negotiating with this White House is like negotiating with Jell-O. <laughs> Sorry, it just makes me laugh. I'm Jeff Stein. This is Possibility Politics, where we feelize our way to a saner future. And <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's people, Donald Trump and company and the Republicans, they think they can, quote unquote, win on narrative alone. Like, I'm just going to say it's this, and then the American people are just going to suck it up and buy it. And they're basing their their effectiveness on the response from the base. So if you go over to Fox News, it's like, yeah, Democrats lost. We totally own them. And it's like, Democrats are like, go ahead. You just completely believe that. Help yourself. Because <laughs> you guys are still stuck, and we're going to save you or not. Yeah, we still have the greatest you know, strength in this issue. Now, first of all, just for just so we can go through the steps because of, of what happened. This is a lot of stuff went down. Because people say, oh, the Democrats caved. Uh, <laughs> no. And... And and but Donald Trump, it is true, is doing everything he can to screw it up. It is quite a spectacle to see because he sits with front of Chuck Schumer, as Chuck Schumer indicated there, and says, "Yeah, DACA, let's do it." He sat in front of the whole room on camera in front of all the different uh, Congress people from both sides and said, "Ah, whatever you guys send me, I'll sign it." Right, and that's the truth of it. And this is whatever the Republicans managed to pump out and send to Donald Trump, they would tell him, as they have, you're a genius. You did so much work on this. And this is a big victory. And this is such a big win. All you got to do is sign it and you'll have a big win. And he'll sign it because he doesn't read it and he doesn't know. So just take Trump out of the equation. What Trump is, is a, 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 a giant spotlight on Republican discord. No matter how much Republicans are trying to find some way to work unworkable positions, they uh, Trump keeps exposing them for. But they, again, they just think it's a war of rhetoric, so they think feel like they got it right, even though the rest of the country knows otherwise. While otherwise, and the due process couldn't be more against them. You know, it's the old thing. Don't make it worse. I love that expression. Don't commit a felony to cover up a misdemeanor. And that's what these folks are doing. So let's walk through the process, right? So on Friday, they uh, Mitch McConnell throws out a vote to try to just show everyone that, uh, one, the Democrats are a are, are it's their shutdown supposedly trying to stick it on them because there he has to get 60 votes, right? It's a filibuster, filibusterable, and that's, Again, that's Senate rules. The filibuster does not exist in the U.S. Constitution, if you didn't already know that. The Senate came up with it to try to protect minority rights. Somewhere in like 1880, I can't remember, do my, you have to do your own Googling on that one. But they came with the idea of the filibuster, which is you got to get at least 60 votes on uh, several different topics. And, and it used to be a lot of things. It used to be on all cabinet positions, your Secretary of State, your Secretary of Interior. You had to get 60 votes to get them through. Uh, it used to be on all judges. It used to be on everything budgetary that involved, you know, l- large swaths of money changing for the fiscal year. But now, but the Republican first, the Democrats got rid of a section of the filibuster uh, because the, Rep- the, D- the Republicans, when they controlled the Senate during President Obama's term, uh, or not even when they controlled the Senate, when they didn't control the Senate, they didn't allow a single person to be staffed in his white in his in executive branch at all. They filibustered deputy, uh, you know, attorneys general. They filibustered deputy secretaries of the interior. They filibustered everything, and then finally, Harry Reid said. Okay, you guys never agree to any candidate ever, so we're going to get rid of the filibuster on appointees. So that ended there. 
And then they try to filibuster every judges. And so the Democrats remove the filibuster on some of the lower court judges. And then they would cleverly get through the higher court judges when the Republicans were asleep because they don't know how to play the game of football. You know, they don't know how to actually, you know, the, the Democrats will snap the ball, start running a play, and the Republicans will do the equivalent in the Senate of going, what happened? And the play's already over. Uh, that has happened a lot because they just don't know how to play. I can't express to you, if you've watched the political theater um, all that Mitch McConnell is trying to do, his singular strategy and Paul Ryan, is to blame this on the Democrats because they know they can't get it through. And I'll explain that, too. So he got the filibuster. But at any moment, just like Mitch McConnell did with the Supreme Court, because the Supreme Court justice was thought to be the one thing that you would never. That's the one thing you never touch. That's why they called it the nuclear option. If you take away the ability to filibuster, then when Republican and Republicans did that so they could get Neil Gorsuch through if they. If they hadn't done, now that they've done that, when they are in the minority again, and there's a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate, they will not have to get 60 votes for a Supreme Court justice. They will need 50 plus the tiebreaker. And that is a mistake that the Republicans should have never made. But they will, they will, their, their days are over on that one. They may have the Supreme Court for a while, but once it comes back into Democratic hands, it'll... It'll be gone from Republican hands for generations because of that, unless the Democrats graciously reinstall uh, the filibuster, which they might. They did it on some things. They reinstalled the filibuster that they took away uh, when they were in control. So it is possible. Anyway, so they <clears throat> put it up the vote for the continuing resolution, which included no funding of chip, no funding of Do- I mean, no, no continuation of DACA and a border wall. So everything the Republicans wanted and nothing that uh, the majority of Americans want. Because, by the way, DACA is supported by 87 percent on the average poll. 87 percent of Americans agree that kids of illegal immigrants should not be punished for their parents' actions, that they should either. 73 percent said they should have full citizenship and the other 11 percent or what it was said that they should have uh, be allowed to stay. But with, uh, you know, a visa, basically a green card. So anyway, very popular. So again, due process, very much on the side, and the wins are way behind the Democrats. So they put this vote up, and then uh, afterwards, uh, the the Democrats got very, very clever. They wanted to do because in 2013 there was a shutdown. Remember, Ted Cruz and company, uh, anger you know, angrily insisted upon a shutdown to get rid of Obamacare when they were in the minority, and they shut down the government because they wouldn't agree to anything unless it included the removal of Obamacare, which of course they're not. Well, President Obama's not going to get rid of, especially when they control the presidency. He's never going to veto that. And and ironically, by the way, Ted Cruz has been running around saying you should never shut down a government. I have never advocated shutting down a government. That was so patently crazy false that even his own colleague, Susan Collins from Maine, said when she heard that quote, she said, I am rendered speechless because Ted Cruz pissed off every Republican when he kept demanding the shutdown of the government and wouldn't, and that foiled any attempts by Republicans to negotiate with Obama and the Democrats to try to get, uh, you know, some of their concessions. And instead, he just said, "We need, we're going to shut down until Obamacare is dead," and it killed all the negotiations. Much like Donald Trump is doing right now. So they go in, and after the vote of the uh, the filibuster vote, which they knew was going to go down on Friday, which shut down the government because the Democrats are like, no, we're not going to give you Republicans all your border wall, all your crap, and give nothing to dreamers or the millions of kids, the 800,000 or millions of kids that are on uh, CHIP program, health insurance. 
So they said, no, we're not doing it. So they voted it down. But immediately after, Claire McCaskill did something that any senator can do. It's called calling a bill for a unanimous consent. Because after the, well, I'll let you, uh, I want you to hear it because I want you to hear how she did it. But she went down and decided to vote for it. And now listen to this clip. And at the end of it, Mitch McConnell prevents it from happening. Follow along. Check this the out. The Democratic leader of Wait the Senate. Here we go. This shouldn't take very long, but I was most disappointed tonight when the President of the United States put out a statement that tried to divide us based on party when it came to support of our military. There is no such division. Everyone in this chamber knows it. And so as we have in other instances where we have had a shutdown, I remember in 2013 we did this right off the bat. I want to make sure that tonight we send a very clear signal that we don't want one moment to pass with there being any uncertainty of any soldier anywhere in the world that they will be paid for the valiant work they do on behalf of our national security. I ask unanimous consent that the Senate proceed to the immediate consideration of calendar number 36, H.R. 1301, that the amendment at the desk providing for continuing appropriations for pay and death benefits for members of the armed services be considered and agreed to, the bill as amended be considered read a third time and passed, and the motions to reconsider be considered made and laid upon the table with no intervening action or debate. So check it out. That's chess, ladies and gentlemen. They Schumer planned that. That was planned. That couldn't have been done just on her own because they worked it out. They worked out with the bill. They got the numbers. They had it all set up. So they said, boom, you guys shut quote, you know, shut down the government. Mitch McConnell doing his charade. So we are going to go and say unanimous consent. We're going to pay the military, right? Everyone does this. They did it in 2013. Pay the military. Make sure they get to pay and survivor's benefits. Okay, and unanimous consent means that if nobody objects, it's good. It happens. Yeah, unanimous, like it said. But if just one single person objects, it doesn't happen. Here's what happened. Is there objection? Mr. President, reserving the right to object. We passed similar legislation uh, during the government shutdown back in 2013. My hope is that we can restore funding for the entire government before this becomes necessary. I'm going to object for tonight, but we'll discuss again tomorrow. Therefore, I object. So he objects. He stops the guarantee of military pay. Right after Claire McCaskill says, let's just unanimously agree on that. And he stops it, saying, I'm going to put it in tomorrow. He never put it in. He is keeping the military. Now, now the shutdown's over. The shutdown got fixed because of the continuing resolution, which we'll get to in a second, which would Democrats think they caved. They did not. Um, but he went ahead and, sh- and shut down military pay for the weekend, which obviously had no real long-term effect. But uh, <laughs> they caught him and they had him own it. But meanwhile, because they, they wanted the talking point. They wanted the talking point of trying to blame the Democrats for stopping military pay. So much so that Mike Pence overseas in uh, Jordan, on his way to Israel, to try to say, hey, we're going to bring the embassy down to Israel, real popular, he said this. He, you know, I'm sure you're all aware of what's going on in Washington, In front of DC. soldiers. Despite bipartisan support for a budget resolution, a minority in the Senate has decided to play politics with military pay. No, they haven't. But you deserve better. You and your family shouldn't have to worry for one minute about whether you're going to get paid as you serve in the uniform of the United States. So know this. Your president, your vice president, and the American people are not going to put up with it. 
So he lied. Seventh Amendment, Mr. Christian, you're Mr. Christian. Seventh Amendment, thou shalt, seventh amendment, seventh commandment, thou shalt not uh, bear false witness. That's a lie. That was a blatant lie. And it was a planned lie because they said, well, we'll have the Democrats. We got it because all they can care about is finding a way to blame the Democrats for, for the inaction of the government. And so they deliberately de- de- deprive military of being paid so they can say it was a Democrats fault, even though, as you heard, just heard, Claire McCaskill asked for unanimous consent like they did in 2013 and ensured it and they wouldn't do it. That's how dirty they're playing. And you say, oh, my God, that just makes me disgusted. I just want to just kill them. No, this is where due process kicks in. <laughs> so we fast forward to Monday when they say, OK, we'll offer a continued resolution. We'll put in ship, but we're not talking about DACA. We're not talking about the border wall. We'll save immigration until February 8th. Now. I know a lot of my friends on the left got livid, like, they caved, they caved. No, no, this is something that was so courageous, first of all. And a lot of senators were able to give the cover. About 18 senators were able to vote against it, um, including many of the ones that are running for president, you know, or potentially Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, you know, uh, cursing Gillibrand, I'm sure, voted against it. So they um, <laughs> they did this little procedural move and they said, okay, we'll continue the budget until February 8th. That is no time at all. And like I said at the beginning of the show, DACA is, go- is good till March, at least good till March. So it sets up the same battle, but Democrats won this round because they got chip back in. And you say to yourself, oh my God, how could you not want to fund children's insurance? But that's how crazy the Republicans are right now. They're holding the military hostage. They're holding children's insurance hostage. They're holding the immigrants hostage. Anything to blame the Democrats for an ineffective government. But as you know, as history says, this is the first time in American history when a party has controlled all the parts of government, the Senate, the House, and the White House, and shut down the government. You couldn't get a simple majority of your own freaking people to agree. And so the whole thing keeps falling apart, and it's going to fall apart again on February 8th. So you say they caved. No. They said, okay, we will trust you. Let me talk. When we come back, I want to talk about the trust part, and I want to talk about what falls after this, and then due process on the cases of, like, the Women's March, and what Twitter's doing to stop the Russians. All of that when we return to Possibility Politics. This is Possibility Politics, the independent state of mind where we look at this gorgeous country in all its complicated glory and love her just exactly the way she is. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks, Juan Velasquez, for putting the show together. Thanks, Executive Brian, for making it grow. And we're talking about the <laughs> the Kobayashi Maru that the Republican Party has gotten itself into. It makes me sad, but anyway. Because uh, the Senate, you guess in particular, is a game of chess. It is a game of poker. And if you bluff too much... If you BS too much, it starts to fall apart and you it doesn't work out for you. I remember I was watching the Obama years and again, you, if you don't follow the inside baseball, I always love it because people, it's like sports again, right? Some people come into football and go, I think he's the best quarterback ever. Why? Because he just, I like the way he throws. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, if, for those who watch it all the time, they'll say, well, he's the best quarterback. He's got a best rating. He's got this, he's got this, he's got this, all these different statistics. You know, they're looking at the actual performances. And so when you look at the actual performances, of what Obama and Schumer and Harry Reid, for that matter, got through uh, during the, when the Republicans were doing everything could could obstruct it, versus what the the Democrats are quote unquote obstructing now that the Republicans are in control. The Democrats are bar- are not obstructing. 
And that's why the reason why the left is so mad, because Chuck Schumer did not cave. He trusted. But he trusted with a guarantee. Because February 8th is coming right back up, and they got chip, and now they're going to work on DACA and immigration, and it comes right back up. And it's it's, it's kind of like, imagine this, where you said, if you had a criminal, and you said, look, I'm going to trust you uh, to not commit any crimes, but I'm making an appointment next Tuesday for you with your probation officer, and if you don't show up or if you committed any crimes, you go right to jail. And that's what the Republicans have kind of set up. And so uh, having some sympathy from the Democratic side, they said, okay. And what I mean, here's the trust part. They made Mitch McConnell promise out loud on the Senate floor and to the American people and to his fellow senators that he would bring up the vote for DACA in his chambers, right? Now, will he do it? I know what everyone's saying on the left. They're saying, but he's lied and he's gone reneged on the on the Supreme Courts and on filibusters. He's reneged on a hundred t- different things. Yes, he has. And when you are a democracy, you fight with one arm tied behind your back, as the Israeli expression goes, because you are going to stay with the rules even if they are not. So the Democrats know this. They know this at Chesscom. They know Mitch McConnell is going to break the rules. They know he probably will weasel his way out of doing it. He might. He might not have a choice either way. But on February 8th, this budget thing comes right back to the end again. And so now he needs 60 votes from Democrats again. But he'll need 60 votes after his promise out loud to the Senate and to the, to the American people is dishonored. And he, and he doesn't give them a DACA vote. And he doesn't give put it into the, the budget. Then now the Democrats look like they tried to take the high road. And the Republicans look like they never had any intention of ever getting it through ever. That it was just a BS. It was just a constant bluff. It was a constant crying of wolf. And they even tried, again, use the military as leverage. Um, but there are no winners in shutdowns. <laughs> and the reason why the Republicans are ultimately screwed is the Hastert rule. You've heard this before. Denny Hastert, uh, former Speaker of the House, which really cracks me up because he's the one that was busted for pedophilia. You know, he was uh, when he was a wrestling coach, he was uh, you know sexually involved with this some of his, some of his uh, uh, students slash team players, his players. And then he had, he was paying the reason he got busted because he was giving $10,000 a month to one of the people to pay them off for their silence. And it was the movement of the money that caught him. Anyway, the Hastert rule, <laughs> sorry, a lot of background says that you never put a vote out in the house unless you have a majority support from your party, from Republicans. So, which by the way, has never worked Almost never worked. Obviously, a few votes it works, but in terms of as a as a constant strategy, it doesn't work because whether you were you know Newt Gingrich or Tip O'Neill or John Boehner or Tom Delay or Nancy Pelosi, there were things you had to get through using votes from the under other party because you weren't going to get it through with your party, and that's how Congress and compromises works. Well, here's the issue. If you just demand, and Paul Ryan is being held to this because here's Paul Ryan's stuck part. If he uh, passes something like DACA with with Democrats, because it's the only way he can pass it, because here's the the, the fit. There's about 70, 75 at least Republicans in the House who think all immigrants are bad. They want to go back. And I'm not exaggerating. You say, oh, that really come really seriously. Yes. No. Uh, if I had three shows, I could give you a quote from every from a, from about 100 different Republican Congress people, men saying that immigrants should not be allowed in, immigrants are a problem, immig- you know, all these different things. They don't want any more people, especially ones that aren't white, 
They want to go back to, in fact, they had several of the Congress people wanted to reintroduce what Woodrow Wilson did, which was in, back in the high, back in the early 1900s in the high times of the KKK, which was they made a, a percentage list of immigrants they were willing to take. And of course, you can imagine how that list went. They took, they were willing to take a whole bunch of white people from Eastern, from uh, Western Europe. And if you were Asian, if you were African, eh, a little tiny percentage. We'll let a couple you in. They actually codified in law a percentage of what kind of people of immigrants they wanted to let in. And there's a group in the, the House, they want to go back to that. And they're in these heavily gerrymandered, super red districts. So they're not in really any vulnerable. In fact, the reason they're so radical is because the district is so red that the Republican would win no matter how crazy they got. So they kept getting primaried by an ever more, uh, you know, extreme Republican until the ones that are in there now are completely white nationalist and they hate immigrants. So they will never vote for it. So you cannot get through an immigration bill except a wall. They'll vote for a wall. You can get a majority of Republicans to vote for a wall, but it is impossible in the House or the Senate to get a majority of Republicans who vote for DACA and a wall. And the Democrats know this. And that's why they're playing chess. And of course, they're being outraged. You know, Nancy Pelosi's pissed at the, at the Senate for, quote unquote, you know, doing the vote. But they all know it. They all know the political theater because it still puts, puts pressure because what they're trying to expose is that the Republican Party hates immigrants and hates brown people and hates black people and hates Asian people. <laughs> I mean, I hate strong, obviously, but they feel like it should be a whiter country. And there's enough of them in Congress that they can't get a majority. And so they're stuck and they will not be able to put anything through. So when we come to February 8, when this budget, next budget revolution comes along, um, they will either, Paul Ryan will have one of two choices, either pass the massively popular DACA by using Democrats, which you'll get a bunch. As soon as you add DACA in, you're going to get a hundred plus Democrats and it's going to sweep through easily. Just like this continuing resolution sleep sweep swept through easily. Cause they said, okay, all right, we'll, we'll keep negotiating. But if you do what they're demanding and what Donald Trump is demanding, which is just a wall and no amnesty. Again, on the, on the right, they call it amnesty. They call DACA amnesty, which is a crack up. These were, they were brought as kids. They've known nothing but America. And the, there are many in the Trump administration and the, and the Republican caucus who want those folks to be deported to a country they've never even seen since they were one or two or six or eight. And that just doesn't make any sense at all. So... But again, the statistics, 79% of Americans say make them citizens. 7% say you can stay, they can stay, but on some sort of green card. And only 11% of Americans think that the children of illegal aliens, uh, illegal immigrants, should uh, be sent back to their deported country to which, from which they never really came. Um, and again... Republicans throughout history, Reagan, George Herbert Walker Bush, George W. Bush, they all agreed that children of immigrants, and they're all on record for it, that children of immigrants that were brought here illegally are not the ones you punish. You punish the folks that come here illegally or whatever. You make them go through the process. Uh, you make them find their legal path or, or go, but you don't punish kids. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and yet, you know, here we are. And so Trump's gone back and forth from hearing from the Stephen Millers and, this, and, this, and the Bannon. You don't think Bannon's still talking to him? Probably is. But the, the John Kellys, President Kelly, that's what they call him around uh, the, the, the rumor mills of, of Washington. The chief of staff, John Kelly, they call him President Kelly because he's basically uh, running the show of what Donald Trump does. 
Uh, That should bother you if you're a Trump supporter, how much President Kelly has been vetoing Trump's uh, choices, although, you know, it's not really it's only a temporary veto because he'll say, don't we're not going to we're going to do the opposite. And then the next day, Donald Trump says he's going to do the opposite. So it just keeps going back and forth. But in response, uh, what did they do? Donald Trump and company decided to try to throw gasoline on the fire. And he's been tweeting about how the Democrats just all they want to do is bring in illegal immigrants. And he's riling up his base. But when we come back, I want to play you a commercial that Donald Trump campaign made in order to throw gasoline on that fire and to stir up immigrant hate on a thing that's 87% popular. That's dumb. That's not going to work. I'll explain in a second. Possibility politics. Thank you for listening to Possibility Politics. This is where news and life meets optimism and patriotism. I'm Jeff Stein, and uh, (laughs) I'm enjoying this so much. It's fun to watch, again, like a sporting event. It's fun to watch uh, people high level of play and and showboating and seeing which one works better because the Republicans got showboat. They got, you know, the, the Donald Trump to throw gasoline on things and get the base riled up. But you can't win elections with the base. And it's getting worse and worse for them every day electorally. The numbers for 2018, I, I, I try not to get, you know, overly excited. And again, it's not whether I'm for Democrats, against Republicans, against Democrats. It's just that I am for change that reflects where the nation is going. And there is so much evidence that that is exactly what is happening. Uh, again, like with the Women's March and this and that. So when I mean about the they're throwing gasoline on the fire. Because if you go to, again, jump over to Fox News, you're going to see them talking about immigrants. You're going to see them talking about how the Democrats are just this horrible, horrible beast. But it's not working. They even did a quick uh, overnight poll. They're going to do some more polling. And a vast majority of Americans know that the they happen to have absorbed this fact that the, that the Republicans control the two houses of government plus the White House. And so when asked the question, who's more to blame for the shutdown, uh, the blame goes on the Republicans. Because it's like, how can you guys not, I mean, if it was split, if it was a split government, it would make sense. But how can you control the entire government and not be responsible for the shutdown? doesn't make any sense. So what they did, and again, this try to, uh, uh, the Trump campaign put together this ad in order to, uh, a quick 30-second ad, which, you know, it's it's propaganda. He's not running anywhere. I assume he's not running anywhere, but it's from the Trump campaign to try to stoke up. And you can't see, the first part is a visual so I got to explain this, where there's this convicted uh, immigrant guy who looks Mexican, he's got a Spanish name, and he's supposedly, in this, according to this ad, killed a couple cops and wished he could have killed more. So he's a violent piece at POS, right? We, we know how these things, that we have them here. They're foreign and domestic. A-holes are everywhere, right? So they take this one guy, and then they make this point about immigration. That's illegal immigrant Luis Bracamontes, charged with murdering two police officers. I wish I'd have killed pure more. Evil. Pure evil. President Trump is right. Build the wall. Deport criminals. Stop illegal immigration now. Democrats who stand in our way will be complicit in every murder committed by illegal immigrants. President Trump will fix our border and keep our families safe. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. So it came out of his money, his campaign, right? And then what's this hilarious? It got such a bad backlash amongst everyone except the white nationalists. Because, again, DACA's 87% approval, 80-plus percent approval. And so everybody said, well, that's just 
you're just trying to start a race war. You're trying to start a culture war between uh, people of color and, and white originalists or whatever that means, which doesn't make any sense because the First Nation people were here first. Uh, but <laughs> the Indians were here first, the Native Americans. So um, they try to create this war, and then they realize it's not really working. And so they start to do the circuit on Sunday. Mark Short, White House Director of Legislative Affairs, goes on with Chuck Todd on the Sunday show and Meet the Press, and they try to distance themselves from this ad. Listen to what he, this lie, you whopper, he says. You know that that ad is produced by an outside group and not those of us in the West. Donald J. Trump for president is an outside group? Let me talk about it. Wait, wait, wait. Donald J. Trump for president is an outside group? So he literally tried to say that that ad came from an you know that came from an outside group. They're trying to distance himself from it. And you heard the ad at the end. It says, I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. That's how squirrely it is because they just want to blame. They don't know how to go forward. They don't know how to make their base happy, which wants to end and do impossible things that the rest of the country would find abhorrent, while simultaneously trying to keep government open, trying to actually, you know, they got their tax cuts through, which had a little bump. They got a little bit of a pull bump. People say, okay, I like the tax cuts. But uh, other than that, they've done nothing except piss people (laughs) off. So it is all coming down. I can assure you, watch the genius because the Republican Democrats are obviously in the minority. There's only so much they can do, but they are really good. Chuck Schumer is really smart at procedurals and rules and making them responsible because we're going to have another shutdown on February 8th because I'm pretty sure that Republicans are not going to do a compromise bipartisan bill. Maybe, maybe they'll surprise me. But if they do, then again, they're going to have 70 or 80 congressmen on the Republican side who are going to lose them, lose their SHIT because you dared give these amnesty to these dang illegals because you can't fire up all that anger and then tell your base you can't have it, right? But if you fire up all the anger and you give it to the base, you lose your electoral ass. And I know that. Uh, because if you get out there and look at what's happening, I went to the women's march and for those who went, you know, you know how amazing that felt and how much forward thinking for 2018 was going on and these different lessons that were learned, because one of the fun things about it that was different, I went to both ones. I went to the one, you know, back in uh, a year ago and then went to this one again. The big difference the big theme difference that was un- that was somewhat intentional but also just organic was something called intersectional feminism. Uh, and what that means is that after the the first women's march where – and by the way, it actually got bigger. Uh, California's was a little bit smaller. Instead of 750,000, we had 600,000 downtown in Los Angeles. Uh, but like Chicago went from 200,000 to 400,000. So the, uh, And there were places where there was 3,000 people that came to the streets in Anchorage, Alaska, and it was 19. 19- degrees or whatever uh, <laughs> that's half the reason we got you know a bunch of people in california because it was you know it's warmer but uh even still uh you know if we drop below 70 degrees here we don't go so <laughs> that's about right so i think that's why los angeles is a little bit lower instead of 750,000 it was only 600,000 because it's about 150,000 to say it's under 75 i'm not going out uh again personal attack on on us here in los angeles but um the difference on intersectional feminism so in the first women's march, you know, there's this huge backlash. Trump was elected. There's a lot of women who felt like they were under threat because here's a guy who was a sexual predator who got away with it. He said he grabbed women by the pee and nobody cared. And 
uh, about and 57% of white women voted for it. So here's what the outrage happened. After that, black women in particular and women of color of all different races, but especially African-American women, went, uh, hey, hello, where, okay, I appreciate you guys have come to the party. I appreciate you white women are finally wanting to go to the streets because you have been abused and because you get abused and, and the system doesn't protect you. But guess what? That's been our life uh, always. And black women a lot had to make the point to white women <laughs> saying, you know, we get shot and nobody goes to jail for it. We get beat up and we all get taken to jail for it by a bunch of racist cops, you know, and we are harassed and we are not listened to and we are not heard. And so there's this odd thing of like, thank you, white ladies, for finally realizing this is going on. But also you would see these signs where you say, uh, you know, 50 percent of white women voted for this. So, you know, voted for this guy, Donald Trump and this change. So we're glad you're figuring it out. But welcome to the party. So on this time around in this Women's March, huge emphasis on diversity, on being about protecting women of all genders and sizes. You know, they had signs that say fat women, poor women. So let me, in fact, give me a little quick lighting room with some signs because if you didn't go, you're going to appreciate some of this. Uh, one said, hey, Melania, ho to, one ho to another. Kill that John in his sleep. <laughs> That's like the meanest one I saw. Um, they had a uh, repeal and replace all of them and showed pictures of Republicans. If dogs can understand no, so can you. I love that one. You know, this one just goes out every time. Super callous, fragile, sexist, racist, Nazi POTUS. That's uh, with a picture of Donald Trump. Uh, one of the, a couple women had a different version of the sign that said, anything you can do, I can do bleeding. <laughs> That's great. One said, what Oprah said. Uh, another one, when hate is loud, love must not be silent. Immigrants make America great. Hate DACA, eat caca. Don't shut down government, shut down tribalism. A woman's place is in the revolution. What's my favorite position? A woman was holding the sign. What's my favorite position? CEO. Uh, here's a topical one. Eat a Tide, eat a tide Pod, patriarchy. Uh, <laughs> I've seen better cabinets at Ikea. Uh, supporting a racist makes you a racist. Uh, they got a quote from Star Wars. A lot of these were around there. It said, that's how we're going to win. Not fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. Another one, a common one. I am ovary react. I am ovary acting with the word ovary. Uh, another one, saving space on this sign with a big space for whatever dumbass stuff the president does today. Uh, no sign is big enough to list all the reasons why I'm here. Tweet others the way you want to be tweeted. Respect my existence or expect resistance. Uh, make empathy great again. Stop pretending your racism is patriotism. They even quoted Corinthians. Love is patient and kind. Love envies no one. Is never boastful, never conceited, never rude, never selfish. Here's the one I loved. Without Hermione, Harry would have died in book one. <laughs> Instead of uh, bitchy resting face, they had resisting bitchy face. Uh, time's up AF. Mothers against idiots. Bunch of Hamilton references. It's a rise up. History has its eyes on you. If you stand for nothing, what will you fall for? Had a Game of Thrones one where it said November is coming, referring to 2018. Uh, real men support women's marches. Marches. Men of quality don't fear equality. Love that one. Uh, this one, a big fat guy had fat middle-aged white guy for equality. <laughs> and then on the intersectional feminist, it was we can do it. Remember that sign from World War II with Josie the Riveter? They had a we can do it signs with all different types of women from race to religious or religious origin, origin and size and gender, etc. Um, 
Another one said, hashtag do better, white ladies. Uh, Another one said, if this march is about accountability, 50% of white women voted for misogyny. It's an important thing to think about. Y'all voted for this. So I'm here for my sisters, not just my CIS sisters, meaning my uh, single gender. Uh, Not all women have a vagina. (laughs) So grab them by the midterms was how it all ended. And another little fun fact for those who didn't go. In the first march, as is often the case, I've been in a lot of protests and marches, there's a contingent of folks who are on the other side. And this, you know, in this case would be Trump supporters. In the first women's march, there's a good chunk of Trump supporters who came out to try to, you know, fight. And if you've never been to that circumstance, basically what happens is is they, they will form in a little area, they will be surrounded by police officers protecting them, and then on the other side will be obviously marchers, protesters who are willing to engage. And it just becomes this weird shouting match, like a bunch of New Yorkers yelling across the street saying, no, you suck. No, you suck. And they just yell back and forth at each other. It's a bizarre display, but it's obviously uh, somehow cathartic and satisfying for those involved. Well, this year, the Trump contingent, there were about 30 cops surrounding about nine or 12 Trump supporters who were brave enough to try to stand out there and and most people kind of ignoring them, and then all, and then it's funny because on the other, on the left side was all the some of the hippie stuff. Like for instance, when we first walked out there with my family, and we hear this smoke, we smell this weird smoke, and we're like, "What?" The? And my my son's like, "Is that marijuana?" I'm like, "No, uh, <laughs> I know what it smells like. It's not it." And <laughs> and so the uh, and I'm like, "What is it?" We're looking around, and we finally find there's this random kind of hippie lady. She's got she's burning sage, and if you don't know the hippie lore, uh, sage uh, wards off evil spirits. <laughs> So she's sitting there dancing around burning sage. And then off to the side was a bunch of uh, people sitting in like the ohm position. They were meditating for peace. And then there was this uh, other thing. It was an empathy tent at empathytent.com. I don't know. I didn't look at the website. I don't know what's going on. But if you needed empathy <laughs> for your troubles, it, it, it's, it's funny and it's enjoyable. But I'm celebrating it because I went to protest during the Bush years for the Iraq war. Those were not pretty. Those were angry. Those were a mixed bag of strange folks with weird, wide range of grievances. And this, I've never seen something so cohesive and so focused. And it was all about registering people to vote. There were booths of registering people to vote and telling them how to vote, telling them how to get, you know, called, go to call centers to help inspire other people to vote. And meanwhile, it's working. Uh, there's a just I'm gonna not probably next show we'll be talking about this because it's coming up on March. There's another special election. Remember the Democrats have either been running the table or running such incredible numbers that the Demo- the Republicans when they win instead of winning by 20 or 30 points are winning by one or two or losing. And there's one the Pennsylvania's 18th district, a district won by Donald Trump by 20 points. They've just, uh, you know, the GOP just dumped another $1.5 million in there because Connor Lamb, the Marine veteran, solid 33-year-old kick-butt Democrat, this guy uh, has a a great story, is neck and neck in the polls with the hand-picked Republican Rick Saccone. And so Trump's had to go in there. Pence is going in there. And so he's been able – it's been a, a spectacle. And meanwhile, Pennsylvania Supreme Court just struck down their congressional uh, gerrymandering map. So they have to rewrite districts. And again, this is one of these states where out of 18 congressional districts where the city voted almost dead even for Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton. So it's a 50-50 state. And out of the 18 districts, 
13 of them, only five are Democrats, 13 are Republican because they've structured it so Republican controlled. Well, guess what? Not only are those in jeopardy because there's such a backlash against Republicans right now that and the Supreme Court forced them to redraw it by 2018. That may be stayed because the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, not the state Supreme Court there, is also holding has held the North Carolina one, which is just as badly gerrymandered because they seem to want to make the decision on a Supreme Court level and then not have it take effect until 2020. So due process, that's maddening if you're a Democrat because they've been cheating, but due process. And again, it's like if you had a foul, a penalty in football that you structured that specifically benefits your team. Uh, you may get through one more season with that penalty, but uh, but the pressure to change it goes away. Another one, and people are waking up on the ballot in Florida. There's to overturn. They have Florida has one of the harshest felony laws that once you're a felon, you don't get to vote ever again. They believe that once you've committed a crime, a felony, you don't get to vote ever again. And that's one of the harshest in the nation. Well, they got something on the ballot. If it wins by 60%, it would make it that felons get their voting right reinstated, like they do in California, after they have served their sentences, unless it's murder or sexual offenses. They always have an exception, depending upon what's going on. But otherwise, you commit a drug crime, you know, or something like that, you, you manslaughter, vehicle manslaughter, whatever, and you're a felon, uh, you get to dra- That will result in Florida of 1.5 million more votes. Voters. How many of you think you're going to vote for the Republicans to put that sort of thing in place? Uh, not a lot. Some of them, of course, not a lot. And it continues. It continues. There's so much other news. The, the congressional generic ballot, if 2018 is going to be a walloping for the Republican Party, unless they come up with something really brilliant, really fast, unless they institute DACA, unless they start doing some infrastructure so that people's jobs will be uh, enhanced, and unless they raise the minimum wage. I know, and if you're if you're hearing me say this, you got to be laughing because they ain't going to do any of those things. And so they're going to go off the cliff and they're just they don't know what else to do except try to blame Democrats for it. It's the only thing this group knows how to do is to be a victim. It's very sad. Again, from my family of, of, of Republicans who grew up with this, believing in Eisenhower style Republicanism, it's so hard to see. Uh, the victimhood in full display. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining Possibility Politics. Uh, Feel free to join me on Facebook or Twitter to give me your comments and tell me what you'd like to talk about. But I try to be cathartic. I try to help you all see that this is a beautiful process and all will end very excitingly and fun. And we even get to Mueller next time on Possibility Politics. This has been Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein. 